Good morning, ZPC. It's good to be here this Sunday. We uh, were out last Sunday, and uh, our the little deck clan had a good time out in northern Virginia with our children and my family. And so I uh, hope and pray, since I didn't get to say this last Sunday, that you all had a good Thanksgiving as well. But it is good to be back here this morning, and it's always fun to kind of come in and see the uh, see the sanctuary uh, decorated and the lights that are on and uh, it just kind of gets you into the Advent spirit. So it's good to be here with you this morning. And we are looking, of course, at the story of, of Jonah. And as I've told you uh, before, we, uh, even though this is a pretty short story, just four chapters in all, um, we're not going to try to, I'm not going to read all four chapters. And so we are going to uh, listen to this morning just the third chapter of Jonah. It's just 10 verses. And so I invite you to hear these words from the book of Jonah. Shortly after the fish has spewed Jonah out on the beach, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. And all shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind, and he may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, the second Sunday of Advent, as we continue to await with great expectation your coming. We thank you, Lord, for this season that reminds us of the importance that we live life with anticipation, that we live life with intentionality and with eagerness. And I pray, Lord, that in this time that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. 
So as Sharon uh, kind of mentioned in her uh, prayer as she was praying this morning, this definitely is a story that most of us, if you grew up anywhere near the church, have probably heard. It's a very popular children's story. And uh, that's true, of course, for many reasons. Uh, the, the main reason, though, probably, if you think about it, is simply because of the whale or the giant fish, right? I mean, this is something that all kids can kind of get behind. A kid can love thinking about how exciting it might be to be swallowed up by a large fish and be taken off and taken around on a ride. And, and it's very easy for us to kind of imaginatively help people to engage or kids engage with this story. I, I was talking about it a little bit earlier this week with some folks, and uh, I think here at ZPC, perhaps at some point, you uh, maybe it was during VBS, I forget when they said it was, but there was a, a whole room that you would kind of go into, and it was as if it was the inside of the, of the whale. You had the ribs and everything else inside there, and, and various and sundry things that would be inside of a fish, and the kids, of course, loved that, and someone else was, was talking about how they, how they saw it done, or they experienced um, uh, uh, people who would walk into a room, and before they'd gone into the room, someone had opened up a can of tuna and had a, a fan that was kind of blowing the, the, the tuna smell just to give everyone the real experience, right? I mean, so this is, uh, this is something that, that kids can get behind. It's easy to teach it. It's enjoyable to teach it. But of course, there are other reasons other than animals that children like stories. And another reason why children like stories is that they can relate to it. And it seems to me that that is certainly the case in the story of Jonah. And perhaps we get it even more as adults, the reality that Jonah is remarkably childish. Now, I don't mean, oftentimes we talk about the importance of having childlike faith. No, this isn't childlike. This is childish. I mean, throughout this story, Jonah acts just like a child. And I'll admit this week that, that my perspective on that could be a bit um, skewed because of the fact that I just got done kind of spending 20 hours uh, in a confined space, i.e. our van, with three little kids. And so I have, I have seen a lot of childish behavior, quite frankly. And, uh, but, but as I read the story again this week and kept looking over it, I, I couldn't help but just see how, what a child Jonah really is. I mean, we, we see it from the very beginning, right? That as soon as God says, I want you to go this direction, Jonah goes that direction, right? And so, you know, how many of us have dealt with children or can remember when we were children, when you say, come here, and the child turns around and goes the exact opposite direction? I mean, that's just what children like to do, right? And God's mistake was that he needed to just kind of physically grab the child's hand, grab Jonah's hand. That's the only way to really get a kid to go in the direction you want him or her to go. And so God doesn't do that. And so Jonah goes off in the opposite direction. Didn't you love the either Nineveh or not to Nineveh? Isn't that great? So he goes not to Nineveh. And so then he goes, and of course the storm comes. You have some kind of, some kind of natural repercussions for Jonah's action. And, and so then Jonah's in the water, and the, the whale comes, right, and swallows Jonah up. And it is, at least as far as I can tell, the first uh, recorded incident of time out. Right? Because that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly what this is. This is time out. 
God has put Jonah in time out. Now, three days, I realize that may sound kind of extreme, but, but who of us who have been parents haven't wanted to put our child in three days of time out at some point, right? And I'll admit, just between you and me, uh, there have been one or two times when I may have forgotten that I had put a child in time out, right? And it can be 45 minutes or an hour before finally someone says, Dad, can I get out of time out? And you say, oh, sure. But isn't it amazing how much work you can get done while they're in that timeout. But so, so there they are. So, so, so three days, right? Jonah is in timeout until finally then he sees the error of his ways. And so he's, he's, he's spewed out onto the beach. And as the story tells us, or as the scripture actually says it pretty clearly, it's interesting how it points this out. It says, for a second time. God has to tell Jonah, right? In other words, how many of you have said this to a child or your child or remember having it been told to you? How many times do I have to tell you, right? And so for Jonah, at least right now, that number is at two, okay? And so God tells Jonah for a second time, you have to go. But now the way the Jesus Storybook Bible kind of depicts it, I kind of disagree with it a little bit because I don't think that Jonah is anywhere near as eager to go then and start telling the people of Nineveh as the story makes it out. I, I don't think that that's really what Scripture says. In fact, you kind of see the opposite. So, so there he goes, right? And so Jonah decides to go to Nineveh. But, 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 but there's no real enthusiasm about it. It's very much, it seems to me, like a child after you tell them to go and apologize to their sister or their brother, and they go, but you can tell their heart is not in it, right? And so they, they go, and they don't even look at the child. They just kind of, you know, I'm sorry. And so then you have to say, no, look at their eyes and say it. So they say, I'm sorry, right? And so, have you never done this? Maybe you've done it with a spouse. It, it doesn't, it's, it's <laughs> and, and so here you have, you have Jonah, right? And we're told that the city is three days long, right? To walk across it, it would take you three days. But here in the story, it says very clearly that he kind of makes it about a day, you know, and he's, he's kind of a day. And it's very much, honestly, just again, like I said, maybe I've spent too much time with my kids lately, but it's, it's like we were in DC last Saturday and, and we were going to walk all along the mall, which you know is a long distance. And Shaughnessy got, I kid you not, maybe 40 feet into the walk before she said, I'm tired. And we said, sweetie, you've got two more miles to walk at least, right? And this is like Jonah, but he has no parent there to kind of say, keep walking. So he walks about a day, and then you just kind of get a sense. He's like, you know what? I know I'm only a half a day away from the very center of town, but I think this is far enough, right? And so, so what does he say, right? He says in Hebrew, it is only five words, right? You talk about doing the minimum amount of work that you have to do. Five words in Hebrew, a little bit more in English. And it's not that, it's not very hopeful. It's 40 more days and God's going to overturn the city. And you even wonder whether, whether he just kind of mumbled it and someone was walking by and said, wait, what? Oh, don't worry about it. So John, I'm going back. But no, but, but, but tell me, what is it? And so 40 days, right? And so what does Jonah do? He doesn't stick around. He goes back out of the city. 
He, he, he's done what you have absolutely told him to do, but he hasn't done any more. He's done the very minimum. And we're told he goes out, this is in the fourth chapter, to watch the fireworks, basically. He goes out because he wants to see this destruction, right? Just like a child, he wants to see the, uh, the, the fireworks and the excitement of something big. And this is great. So I'm telling you, he is such a child. So, so, so he goes out there, and then God, has, as it says in here, God decided not to do it, right? And so then, in the fourth chapter, the very next chapter, Jonah is angry. And Jonah says, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you wouldn't destroy it. I wish I were That's exactly what Jonah says. And again, is the first recorded moment of a temper tantrum. As soon as you don't get your way, you throw yourself on the ground and you say, I wish I were dead. As soon as things don't go your way. See? (laughs) And you act like a child. I mean, it's really, it's pretty remarkable just how childish Jonah is. In fact, so much so that i got to be honest with you, there are times when I've been wondering, why is this even in the Bible? I mean, this is not what we should be teaching our children. Right? I mean, I, mean, I mean, sure, for a kid, they get wrapped up in fish, and that's good enough for them. But, but for us as adults, we need to ask ourselves some other questions. Why is this in there? Why is this story about a childish man who seems to waffle one way or another when it comes to God, and who is always whining and complaining and throwing temper tantrums, and is only doing the very minimum that he has to do? Why is it in there? Well, one of the reasons it seems to me that this story is in here is to help and teach us again, as Sharon kind of mentioned in her prayer, to help and teach us that God is not afraid to use any of us, even those of us who waffle when it comes to our trusting in God, who sometimes obey and sometimes disobey, who oftentimes do the very minimum that we can do in order to, we think, stay in good stead with God, and who are angry frequently with God for not doing what we think God should do. That a part of the reason why this story is in here is to help remind us that God uses everyone who follows him in some way, even if we, even if it's beyond what we could possibly imagine. I mean, what's so fascinating, of course, about this, about this story is it's similar in some ways to what we talked about three weeks ago with David and Goliath, right? We talked about how amazing it is that God can use our very ordinary selves and, and use very ordinary parts about us. And here again, we see this tale of God using Jonah. What do we do at a staff meeting? I'll, I'll point it out. Lisa, I see you back there. Uh, Lisa brought up the fact that so often we like to lift up, right, the people in Scripture, right? We want to say, oh, they are so amazing. And this is why God uses them because they have great gifts and they've got kind of a great attitude. And it's clear that he or she really loves God. Well, no, not in the story of Jonah. If God can use Jonah, God can use you. 
And there are a lot of us, it seems to me, who say, well, God's not really going to use me in any kind of remarkable way because of the fact that I'm always struggling with my faith or because of the fact that I, you know, I come to church, but it's really just once in a while and I'm not really all that interested and I don't really understand God and I'm angry at God a lot. And so I don't think God could really use me. Do you know that this is the largest conversion in all of Scripture? And who did God use? Childish Jonah. And so if God can use Jonah, I want you to know God can use you. But of course, it's also a lesson, it seems to me, to those of us who oftentimes get frustrated with the Jonah-like disciples that we see. Those of us who get frustrated sometimes that that we know people who only turn to God when times are really difficult. Or they only come to worship when it fits and is really convenient for them. And it is easy for us to chastise internally or externally those people, those fair-weather Christians, if we will. And I think this is an important time for us to talk about this because guess what's going to happen here in just several more days, in 17 more days? What do we have? Uh Uh-huh, some of us are getting ready. Some of us are getting ready to come to church and say, oh, well, there's Susan. Great to see you, Susan. Maybe we'll see you again in Easter. Nervous laughter. Yeah. Some of us for whom it is very easy for us to come on Christmas Eve night ready to judge. And who already think in our hearts, well, God's not going to use that person. You can't, God's not going to use you if you only come twice a year. Rather than coming, perhaps, with a sense of prayer and hope in our hearts. You know what? We know this person hardly ever comes, and we know that they struggle with their faith, but we are praying that God would see that as they are here this night, that God can use them no matter what. Maybe coming and praying and and, and saying, we hope that God that this person can begin to learn that God will keep chasing them no matter how far away they keep trying to run. What might it look like if all of us come on Christmas Eve with hope and anticipation for the Jonas that are going to be amongst us? And there will be many Jonas who come shuffling and who can't believe, many of them kids, quite frankly, that they have to come. And what if we come with prayer and with hope for them? Because if God can use Jonah, God can use anyone. But it seems to me it's not just the fact that there is a big fish in the story or that children can resonate with Jonah that makes this such a good children's story. Everyone knows a good children's story, at least in book form, always has to have good pictures. A lot of good pictures. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a lot of great pictures in that book. But there's a picture that they didn't depict that I was really thinking about this week. It's again, it's in the fourth chapter. After Jonah is upset and has kind of whined and complained about the fact that God has not destroyed it. Then we hear that Jonah is getting hot. He's beginning to feel faint. 
And so he begins to complain again to God. And so uh, you may know the story. God then sends a, a bush or a plant. And so, so, so Jonah seeks shelter underneath the plant or the bush, and everything is great. And then God, showing yet again his great sense of humor, he, he, he sends a worm, right? You remember this? And the worm kind of bores into the plant, and the plant dies. I, I don't know why, but I just I always think that that's funny. And so, uh, so the plant is dead, and, and 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 here is Jonah, and he's angry and he's complaining. And I want us to kind of hear the this is this is how God responds to Jonah, and we can see that up on the screen. God says, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the picture that I want you to imagine in your head. First, it's focused there, right there on Jonah. And there he is, and he's got a bead of sweat coming down, and he's staring at this dead plant. And we think, ah, poor Jonah, his plant is dead. And it's all we can see, and we know he's hot, and we think, and Jonah's sitting there, and he's, he's upset, and he's angry. But then the camera begins to, to pan out, if you will. It slowly begins to rise, and for a moment, you notice, you see, you see something beginning to unfurl, and it's a, it's, a, it's a city, and you see more and more people, and the, the camera gets hitting higher and higher, and you, you see that there are tons of people, people who, are, people who are in trouble, people who are struggling, people who are living in a violent place, people who are hungry, and you, you realize all of a sudden the camera's gone up, and there in this picture you see 120,000 men, women, children, animals, all sitting there struggling. And you can hardly even see Jonah now. But all of a sudden, you're almost overwhelmed by this picture of the pain and the distraught nature of a whole city. And yet there, if you look, you see one little speck and you realize it's Jonah, who even though the city is right down the street, he can't get over himself and his little dead plant. He is so caught up in his own little world that it has distorted his view of everything. It is probably the most childish thing that Jonah does in this whole story. And yet it is something, my guess is, that almost every one of us struggle with getting so caught up in our own little 
picture and world and the things that are going well and poorly, that we are completely oblivious to everything else that is going on around us, perhaps even just down the road. I am here to tell you that gravity will always bring that camera down to where it focuses on us and what we are struggling with, small or big. And it will only take great intentionality for us to raise that camera up and be aware of the picture that is just outside of us if we but have the eyes to see. People have asked us, Megan and I, what were you most concerned about when it came to moving to ZPC? Is it the recent history of ZPC? Is it following in the steps of a great leader like like Glenn McDonald, which is absolutely true. But neither of those things scared us nearly as much as moving into what we knew because people told us, and they're true, was the bubble of Northwest Indianapolis. We were and we continue to be frightened for us and for our children that they will get so caught up in this little world and in this little bubble that they will be blind to the realities of the city that is around it and the cities that are across the globe. The outsiders who are dealing with violence and struggle and pain and poverty and we will be blinded to it because we will be sitting there staring at our little dead plant. And it will take intentionality to make sure that we do not get so caught up in our own little bubbles that we are cognizant of the world around us. That we are cognizant that God is saying, should I not be concerned about those other 120,000? which means that we have to intentionally make sure that we are investing in the city that is outside of us. That's why I've said to you pretty bluntly, if you have a lot of money, you better be giving a lot of it away. Otherwise, otherwise you will too quickly begin focused and the camera will come into just you and your own little life. But it's not just for you as individuals, it's for us as a church as well. I mean, I am, I am happy that this church is giving away this next year over $400,000 to places in Indy, to places in India, to places in South Asia or Romania or Mexico. That is absolutely important. Remember, as I've said before, if you want to know what's important to someone or to people, see how they spend their money. It is why on this day we have an alternative Christmas market out there so that we can remember That while our children may be sitting there nestled up to a fireplace and a Christmas tree on Christmas morning, there very well may be children from the shepherd community who do not have lunch if we are not providing it for them. It's why we say, let's go, let's get more involved, because it isn't just money. It is how we are spending our time as well. It's why we've decided to invest in the shepherd community. It's why we have people go to Kentucky so that they can remember and understand that there is a world outside of their own bubble. It's why we send people into prison. But we have to continue to do that and even more so. I am impressed with the Mission Commission because the Mission Commission has said, it seems to me, and if anyone's on the Mission Commission disagrees with me, um, don't tell anybody else. Here's what I think. 
that we have to figure out other ways to make sure that our people have opportunities to get outside of themselves and their bubble and to serve those who are in need, to make sure that we are not a people who are simply sitting there and mourning the loss of our own little dead plant while thousands upon thousands of people are in need of hearing the love and, God, love and justice and mercy of God. The story of Jonah, though a childish tale, trust me when I tell you this, it is a story for us as adults. Because it is a reminder to us that no matter how much we struggle with our faith, that God can still use us. It is a reminder to us that rather than judging the Jonas that we see in our lives, we can pray for them and hope for them. And it is a reminder to us that if we are simply content to stay in our bubble, then we are as sad looking as Jonah as he stared there at his little dead plant while a city of 120,000 are in need of the love and grace of God. Let us learn from Jonah. Let us thank God that the story is in there. Because it gives hope to all of us. And it gives hope to the cities that are just outside of our walls. For the glory of the one who will not stop until we have felt his love. Amen.